Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, the regular gospel lesson for this Sunday that you heard me read over at the lectern. We find it in John's gospel, the 8th chapter, particularly verse 51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, you who are here in God's house, and you also, the friends of our radio audience. It is good being in God's house this morning, isn't it, friends? And it is good, you on the radio, to have you worshiping with us also this morning. As you know, today is the fifth Sunday in Lent. On your calendar it has two names. It is called Jubilate, and it is also called Passion Sunday. The word Jubilate is Latin, and it means judge me. It's the first word in Latin in the intro for the day that you heard at the lectern. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. So it's called Judge Me Sunday or Jubilate. It is also called Passion Sunday or Suffering Sunday. We realize that the six Sundays in the Lenten season are not to be included in the Lenten days, which are 40 days, but our church fathers figured that of the six Sundays, one Sunday should take particular emphasis as regards the sufferings and death of Jesus, and today happens to be that Sunday. And the ancient gospel lesson that will be read and has been in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches throughout the world today that are liturgical churches is the story that you heard also in our church this morning when Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem made a tremendous statement and the Pharisees, his enemies, took up stones and they tried to kill him. You may wonder just what took place that day. Well, it was in October. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, just about six months before the death of Christ. He had come to Jerusalem, and he was in the temple, and he was surrounded by the Pharisees who were looking for a reason to put him to death because they hated him with a vengeance. And before that hostile group, that day Jesus got up and he made this tremendous statement. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Verily, I assure you, he says, that if a man keep my saying, he shall never die. That was the statement. And you can imagine what that did when he said, if a man keep my word, he shall never die. The Pharisees turned on him and they said, now we know that you're a Samaritan. That's the worst they could call him. And you must have a devil inside of you to say something like that. The idea that you would claim to say that if a man would keep your word, that he should never die. And they said, why, Abraham is dead and the prophets are dead. Just who do you think? think you are. Abraham, are you greater than Abraham who's dead? Are you greater than our prophets that have died? And you claim that if a man keep your saying that he shall never die? And they looked at him and again, now we know that you are possessed, they said. 
But Jesus went on talking to them just the same. And he said, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced in it, and he was glad in it. And they said, why, you aren't even 50 years old. And are you trying to say that you've seen Abraham? And mind you, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus came into the world. And Jesus, when they said to him, have you seen Abraham, and you're not even 50 years old? And Jesus said, yes, indeed, I saw him. And then he came forth with another tremendous statement. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham existed, I tell you, Jesus said, I existed. I was before Abraham. Yes, I saw his day. I am the eternal one. I am the pre-existent one. In other words, Jesus told them, I am no less than deity. I am God himself. And when he said that, they ran for stones and they were going to kill him. But we are told that Jesus hid himself in the crowd and he went forth unscathed because they didn't find him. Today on this Jubilate Sunday and this Sunday of Passion, this Christ says to you and me that tremendous statement that he made in the temple that day at the Feast of Tabernacles. And he says to you and me this morning, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, I assure you, he says, in other words, I want you to know that you can be dead certain of this promise of mine. I want you to know that you can be dead sure of this promise. You can be dead positive of this promise that if you keep my word, if you believe in me, you will never die eternally. You will escape hell and damnation. I will see to it. You will never die eternally, but you will have life and salvation through me. That's the statement that he makes to you and me. He tells you and me and all of the uncertainties of life, I assure you, verily I tell you this day, that you can be dead certain of this promise. If you believe my word, you will never die. Never will you die eternally. You will have everlasting life. And you and I may say this morning, oh, that's an awful powerful statement on his part to say that I can be dead certain of this promise, that if I put my faith in him that I will never die eternally, that I can be dead positive and dead short of that. We may say to ourselves, I'd love to be. It would be wonderful if I could say I am certain of this, that because I have Christ that I will never die eternally, that hell and damnation will never reach me. I would like to have that dead certainty. But we may say, is Christ big enough to fulfill that kind of a promise? If he is, has he ever given us the guarantee? Has he ever given us the absolute certainty that he's big enough to come through and put it on the line and really deliver us from eternal death. Is he big enough? Well, in that very statement, that day at the temple in Jerusalem, he also gave the absolute guarantee. There came forth from his lips, don't forget, another, verily, verily, I say unto thee. And today Christ says to you and me this. He says, I assure you, you can be dead certain of this promise. You can be dead sure of this and dead positive. You can stake your life on this promise that if you believe and have me, you will never see eternal death. 
I promise you that and I give you this guarantee. I am big enough to produce because I want you to know you can be dead certain that I am no less than God. I am no less than deity. I am big enough to bring about the result and to fulfill that promise. You and I may say this morning, is he big enough that you and I can say, I know one thing, I can be dead certain of this, that when I have Christ, I know that I shall never die eternally. And that you and I can say, I can be dead certain that he is no less than God, that he existed before Abraham, he is the pre-existent one. Can I be dead certain that Jesus was no less than deity, God, big enough to come through and to fulfill this promise. And on the basis of the Word of God, friend, if there's anything you and I can be dead certain about, it is this, that Christ has given us the absolute guarantee beyond the shadow of a doubt that He is big enough that when you and I have Him, we can be dead sure that we will never face death and dead sure that we will have eternal life because we can be dead sure of His deity. Does He give you and me that kind of a guarantee? He does because in the first place, Christ reminds you and me of this. He reminds you and me that we can be dead sure of His deity, that He is big enough to produce and to come forth and to fulfill this promise because He still stands and challenges the world today to prove that He was ever guilty of sin that he was anything less than deity. Oh, that day when the Pharisees, his enemies, were surrounding him, they said to him, because they couldn't think of any worse epithet to hurl at him, oh, you got a Samaritan. And to them, a Samaritan was about the first worst person that ever lived. And again, you've got a devil inside of you. But Jesus said this before them. He says, which of you, he stood before them that day, which of you can prove me guilty of sin? He made the statement that again, before Abraham was, I existed. I am no less than God. I challenge you, he said. You prove that I am not God. And the only way to prove that he is not deity is to prove that he was a sinner. And in that day there was no one. He stood as marble before them, and they could heap all the mud that they could against him. But it came off because in his day no one could ever convince him or to convict that he ever had an evil thought, that he ever spoke an evil word, that he had ever done an evil deed. And he has left us four gospel records of his life so that men looking at it, scrutinizing it, and analyzing it say this, the greatest life that was ever lived, tremendous, holy, sinless. And do you realize that down into our 20th century, this Christ still stands and he says to the world, which of you can bring any kind of a charge of guilt or sin against me? Men have gone into the word of God with every expectation of finding something wrong, but to our day and our sophisticated 20th century, no man, and I mean just that, no man has ever found Jesus guilty of sin. He stands holy and matchless and because he challenges the world 
to turn to his word and to find one fault in him. He never even broke the Sabbath law. He stands and he says to you and me, Verily, verily, I assure you, you can be dead certain of this. And this is the proof that, again, if you have me, that you will never see death, because this is dead certainty that I am deity. And thank God, being deity and sinless, on this Passion Sunday, then we can say this, being sinless, he was qualified in every way to be our sin-bearer. He had to be without sin. He had to be no less than the Holy God. What a Savior! What a sin-bearer! He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. And that's the assurance. And that's why today Jesus Christ says this on this Sunday. Verily, verily, I say unto you, in all of the vicissitudes and the turmoils and the changeable things of life, Christ says, I say to you, Amen, yes, yes, this is true. You can be dead certain, you can be dead sure of this promise that if you have me, you will never taste eternal death because I give you the absolute guarantee that you can be dead certain that I'm deity. And because you and I can stand today in his house and say, for 2,000 years, no man has ever disproved the sinlessness of Jesus Christ Therefore, we can be dead sure that he was sinless and dead sure that he is no less than deity and he will fulfill that promise. And that ought to mean in your life and mine this morning that we say to ourselves, there's one thing I'm going to be dead sure of in my life. And that's this, I'm going to be dead sure that when I have Christ that I know that I will never see death. I will never be lost. I will never be damned. I will never spend eternity in hell. I will be with him in heaven. That dead certainty, that dead assurance, that dead positive conviction, I must have. And when you and I have it, then we will say to ourselves, and I am determined, therefore, that I shall ever believe in his deity. How about the deity of Jesus Christ? Where is it in the church today? Just last week on Tuesday, I had two incidents with regard to this. One of you called me and you said this. You said, I'm certainly unhappy about the things my little grandchild is learning in the church where she attends, and it was a Lutheran church. And I wondered why, because again, in that particular Lutheran church, it was no longer taught that the Word of God is the absolute infallible Word of God, that it is inspired, that every word was superintended by the Holy Spirit, and that it is authority. And then one in this group came a hundred miles from another church. The first question that person asked me was this Tuesday. Reverend Nelson, do you believe in the infallibility of the Word of God? Do you believe it's inspiration that God gave every word? And I said, yes. And he says, in the church that I attend, the Lutheran church, they no longer believe that. How can you get rid of the deity of Jesus Christ? There's only one way. And that is this, to deny the inspiration of the Word of God. To say that the Bible doesn't say what it does say. And may I say this with malice toward none, but standing for the Word of God, no man can go to the Scriptures and believe that they are given by inspiration of God, that it's God's infallible, inspired word, and come out of them and not see the deity of Jesus Christ. When the deity of Jesus Christ is gone, when you and I say that he didn't exist before Abraham, when we say that before Abraham it was not the case that he was still the great I am, there's nothing left. 
when the deity of Jesus Christ goes by the board, then you and I cannot be dead certain that even though we have him that we shall never see death, because if he isn't deity, then he is nothing. Then he is an imposter. Where is the Lutheran church today on the infallibility of the word of God? Christ stood in the temple that day. It was in October before his death the following spring. And he was surrounded by enemies. But he made a tremendous statement that through the word of God you and I look at today. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Verily, verily, amen, amen. He says, yes, yes, I say to you, I assure you, you can be dead certain of this promise. You can be dead sure of it. You can be dead positive that, again, if you have me, you shall not see eternal death. And you and I say, is there any guarantee? Oh, yes. The guarantee that we can be dead certain that he is no less than deity. He is big enough to fulfill that promise. And you and I may say, where is there any dead certain of his deity? Why, Christ assures you and me in the second place that, again, we can be certain, we can be dead sure that he was before Abraham that he was no less than what he said he was, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, deity in all of its essence and in all of its majesty, because Christ still stands before the world today, and he challenges the world to disprove his miracles. That would leave him anything but being a divine savior, deity himself. How about his miracles? That again, seems to upset some people. What about them? Did they happen or did they not happen? Today, again, as men go to the Word of God and men say, that again, we must reinterpret the Word of God. Those miracles didn't happen like they read in the Bible. This was a man's way of illustrating it. You've got to demythologize Scripture. You've got to take myth out of it or these little stories that exemplify a truth. And that therefore Christ didn't turn water into wine. Men thought so. He never raised the dead. He didn't still the tempest. He didn't walk on the water. He didn't heal sickness and disease. May we ask ourselves, what was the purpose of the miracles of Jesus Christ? Was it not this, and this is what it was? It was to substantiate his word. That when again he declared himself to be deity, the Savior, in order to corroborate that, to substantiate, to give credence to it, there were miracles whereby he displayed his divine power. The main purpose was again to corroborate and to give further testimony and a real basis to his deity. Then, of course, some are bothered. Why don't we do them today? Why can't we heal like he did? And again, talking today, and the big thing in the church in some sections is the damn, the speaking in strange tongues by means of the Holy Spirit. Men say, unless we can talk in strange tongues, and unless again we can heal like Christ healed, uh, we aren't using the powers and the prerogatives that Christ gave. May I remind you of this, that Christ did not heal everybody in Palestine when he was here on earth. There were hundreds of people that were not healed. Why? The main object of healing, yes, to show mercy to be sure, but the main object of miracle was to substantiate his claim of deity that he was no less than God. Far be it from me to ever say that God's power could be hindered and that God couldn't perform those miracles. But we have no promise that those miracles were to continue even in our day because they were attestations and the word of God assures us 
that these miracles happened because to make us dead sure that Jesus was what he said he was and that we could be dead certain of it that he was no less than God. Did those miracles happen? You and I say, can I be sure that they did? And therefore, can I be dead sure that Jesus is no less than deity? And that when I have him, I shall not ever see death. I shall see only eternal life. May I say this, Christ stands and challenges even this sophisticated, this scientific 20th century and says, I challenge you to prove that these didn't happen. When you heard about the minister in England who again had preached miracles and the deity of Jesus Christ and then was told, oh, this is all apropos now, this doesn't fit anymore. Again, the church is in a new generation. The man again looked at his ministry and said, it's been a waste of time. I have wasted my life. And the poor individual committed suicide. Dr. John Phillips, who has given us that matchless translation of the New Testament, wrote on that subject. And what did he say? With regard to miracles, Phillips who has spent a lifetime in New Testament studies, said this. He said, it is my conviction that the more I study the New Testament, that those men who tell of those miracles were convinced that they happened, that they saw them happen. In other words, J.B. Phillips says, the wine again came because water was turned into wine. When he raised Lazarus, Lazarus was dead. He did come back to life. When he stilled the tempest, when he walked on the water, when he healed the sick, when he drove out the demons, Phillips says, my conviction is this. Those men believe those things. They actually have the conviction they happened. And Jesus still challenges the world. Don't let any man ever tell you that he can disprove the miracles of Jesus. You weren't there. Neither was I. But the record of his miracles is also the same record of Christ. And if the miracles are false, then Christ is a sham. He is an imposter too. Because Christ is no better than the word that reveals him. And if that word reveals miracles in our enlightened 20th century, no man has ever denied or disproved successfully the miraculous. And thank God on this Passion Sunday that means this, that he is no less than God. I can be dead sure of that. In being God, he has all power, that he can conquer Satan and hell, and that no one can take my soul and damn me eternally, take me away from him. I can be dead sure that when I have him, that I can be dead certain that I shall never see eternal death because I have this absolute guarantee. I can be dead certain he's deity. All power is his. And that ought to mean this. We would say to ourselves, if I can believe that I can be dead sure of this, that if I have Christ, that I shall never die eternally, I shall never be lost, then if you and I don't know him this morning, there is no better time than right now to say, I want to keep his word. You may say, what do you mean to keep his word? Oh, it's simple. When Christ went out to preach, we are told that he went out and he preached the kingdom of God to repent ye. It means this. How do I keep his word? By standing before him and telling him I'm sorry for my sin. By admitting that I have sinned and that I have broken his law. By admitting that I'm lost and damned. And by turning to him in faith and asking him for forgiveness. And when you and I are sorry for sin, sorry enough to quit and ask him for forgiveness, then there comes that dead certainty 
of knowing this, that there's peace within, that within my heart there's tranquility, there is peace of heart, peace of conscience, peace of mind, and then we don't have to be afraid of death. We say to ourselves, should we gladly do that? What does a man get who denies Jesus Christ? What does a man get who lives in sin? Is sin so wonderful for a few moments that again it's worth the price that a man pays? Oh yes, all sin brings pleasure for the time being, but all sin brings heartache. Not long ago I had a man sitting in my study who had divorced his first wife and married a second one then came in one day all excited and said to me, you may think I'm crazy, you may think I've lost my mind, but I have suddenly awakened to the fact that I'm still in love with my first wife. My God, what's wrong with me? What's wrong? Oh, I've seen dozens who again in sin for a little pleasure have brought heartache on children and on those that they have loved then to cry out in desperation, oh, if I could only turn back the universe, and if I could only bring back yesterday, to repent and to believe, well, that brings peace of mind. There is no sin that has so much pleasure. But what again, you and I can say, but to believe in Christ, and to have the dead certainty that I shall never see eternal death. Christ says to you and me, as he said in the temple that day, I assure you, you can be dead certain of this promise of mine, that if you have me, you shall never see death. You shall never die eternally. You and I say, but I, I want a guarantee of that. Is he big enough to come through? Can he pay off that promise? And Christ says, yes, I can. This is my guarantee. I can assure you, verily, verily, you can be dead certain that I am no less than deity. I was before Abraham. And you and I can say, where is that dead certainty that he is no less than God able to produce and fulfill that promise? Christ says this, because you can be dead certain because I challenge the world to this day to prove me guilty of sin. The world can't. I challenge the world to prove that my miracles didn't happen and that therefore I'm not deed in the world can't. Then Christ says, and I challenge the world to this day to prove that I was not the Messiah, that I'm anything but God. You say, well, was he God? Was Christ really what he said he was? Was he before Abraham? Was he the pre-existent one? Can you and I believe in his deity? Jesus says, I challenge the world to prove that I was not the Messiah. Abraham was one again. Remember, God took Abraham, and he called him, and he said, Abraham, if you will go where I will send you, I will make you the father of a great nation, and God did. Again, when he came into the strange land of Canaan, there was the promise, but nothing had happened. How could Abraham have seen the very day of Jesus Christ? Christ said, but he saw my day. When Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah 90, they became parents of a son, and they called him Isaac, laughter. When that son was born, then Abraham knew here was the seed of the woman, the Messiah coming from his line. And when laughter, Isaac was born, he saw the day of Jesus Christ and was able to say, Now I know, Messiah is going to come. God's given me a son, and from him, who is again going to be the seed, there will come Messiah. He saw the day of Jesus Christ. Don't you ever forget it. It began in the birth of Isaac. And don't forget again on Messiah, God had had 
Jacob blessed his son and he said to Judah, he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Messiah shall come from the tribe of Judah. Micah said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah said he is going to be God with us, born of a virgin who shall conceive. His name is going to be Emmanuel. He's going to be true God and he's going to be true man. Isaiah also said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. He is to be the Mighty God, but Isaiah also said, he will be led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before her shearers is dumb, so we open not his mouth. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah said, he will be a suffering Christ. He will be one who again will go to his death as a lamb to the slaughter. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and he was his own sacrificial lamb. And therefore he challenges the world, you prove that I am not the Messiah. And up to this 20th century, no man, and I say no man without one exception, has ever been able to prove that Jesus was not the Messiah that God had sent into the world. And because he was the Messiah, because therefore he is thus proving that he is deity, being the Messiah, he is the one who has on the cross bore our guilt and our punishment, has opened up heaven and salvation for the entire human race, and brought an exemption from hell and damnation for all of us. That's why Jesus says this to you and me. You can be dead certain of this promise if you have me. You'll never see eternal death. You will have eternal life. And Christ said, because you can be dead certain that I am deity, I am no less than God. I am the Messiah. I am the one who by my sacrifice brought life and salvation for you and for all men, deliverance from eternal death. And when you and I then can have that dead certainty, then we ought to say this, we ought to live each day to the glory of his deity and to the defense of his word. He said, if a man keep my word to defend it, we ought to stand up, it's time we defend his deity. If the church of Jesus Christ is going to lose his godness, it has nothing left. I don't know what time it is on your clock in the universe, but as I begin to look at the clock, that I call the clock of the universe, it seems to me like we're getting pretty close to midnight. Have you ever seen the world in the condition in which it is now? Oh, I know in past generations men have said, well, these are the days which try men's souls. Here we have a war on our hands and nobody knows what to do with it. Here we have the rise of communism. We're coming apart at the seams in our own country. A civil war, class against class. We have stores being burned in Chicago and in New York. We have school teachers going on strike, and the next thing I suppose it will be ministers. We have jets being hijacked. We have the gold standard problem. And I asked one of our local bankers, what does it mean? He says, I don't know. When the experts in economics stand and they wonder, what does it mean? And even they don't know. And the deity of Jesus Christ being smothered, you and I say, are we coming to midnight? Is the bomb, nuclear weapons, will they be dropped? Have we come and are we coming to this place of futility and frustration? And yet through it all, what is there? 
There is the dead certainty Christ says to the world, even to those who hate him. You can be dead sure of this, that if you have me, you will never die. You will be saved. That's the brightness. A man came into my office at Capitol University the other day, said to me, this is one of the sad things we have in the seminary. Only about half of the men in the seminary want to go into the parish ministry. The rest want to specialize in some official capacity in the church. Rather sad, isn't it? The parish ministry. The greatest in the entire kingdom of God in the church is the parish ministry. I think of the beautiful words of Oliver Goldsmith in the deserted village when he describes the country parson or the parish minister. And he said in these words, a man he was to all the country dear and passing rich with 40 pounds a year. Remote from town he ran his godly race, nor e'er had changed, nor wished to change his place. And then he said, where fools who came to scoff remain to pray. All the actions in the parish ministry, that's the tops in the kingdom of God to defend the faith. It's only in the parish ministry that you meet Joe Dokes, the truck driver. It's only there that you meet the man that is scurrilous. It's only there that you meet the blasphemer. And then, oh, the thrill in the adult classes when the fools that come to scoff remain to pray. Oh, I think of many cases. I think of one man. I asked him to come to adult class. He looked at me and he laughed and it came a lot of blue smoke and profanity. He said, you know, blank, 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 you're never going to get me in the church. I said, I didn't ask you that, but I'd like to have you come. And for four Monday nights, he sat there and went out and never said a word. And then after the fifth, he said this to me. He said, there's more to it than I thought. He says, I guess Christians aren't idiots after all, are they? And it went on. And then you could just see a man coming under conviction. When again he began to see this Christ, this deity, with hope for the world, then to say, could I join your church? And then to have a wife say, you don't know what a change has made in our home. At the table it was profanity and it was filth, and it isn't there anymore. And when the next class came to have that man bring a guest, and the guest said to me quietly, he said, when that guy asked me to come to a series of lectures on the Christian faith, you can bet I came. Something happened to him. There must have been a miracle. I knew that guy. The parish ministry, there's nothing greater than that. I wouldn't have anything else. Oh, you talk about the parish ministry. Oh, sure, I've got a DD degree. And I can say in all humility, I don't think any man who has one ever uses it less than I do. I'm rather afraid of it for fear that I may be unapproachable. I want it in the parish ministry to be approachable like the little kid four years old that ran back there and grabbed me around the legs and looked up at me and says, I ain't afraid of you, Rebner. I ain't afraid of you, Rebner. And I picked him up and I kissed him and I said, Oh God, I hope you're never afraid of me. To be unapproachable? Oh no. A parish minister? No. One of my old professors said one day, This is when you can count yourself success in the parish ministry. When some old soul in the congregation shakes your hand and cries and says, don't ever leave us. Then you've been successful. That's the parish ministry, to defend the faith, to go out and to tell somebody about Christ, to stand and to look at him and say, look, men, you can absolutely be dead certain that he is the Lord. You can be dead certain that he is the Christ you can be dead certain of his deity. Let come what may, 
you are still a victor in him. Oh, to stand and to say, Oh, Christ, oh, God, how great thou art. How great thou art. How great thou art. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.